0: Shivani Samaya, and welcome back to the Financial Executives Podcast. Unlike most sectors of the American economy, the financial services sectors have severed a handful of traumas. From a remote work model pivot to digitization, finance leaders have never yet been in as unique of a position as they are in now to support the nation's economic recovery. During the past two years, Citigroup Bank has made significant investments in their digital infrastructure, enough to be named the world's best digital bank. Today, as part of our longer ongoing forward thinking series, we are joined by Citigroup's chief accounting officer, Mr. John Bull Okpara. Can you describe your career journey and how does somebody who has a degree in chemistry end up being the chief accounting officer at Citigroup? Is there a through line from where you started in financial services to where you are today?
1: Thank you, Shivani. Uh, It's my great pleasure to be here today. Um, You know, as chief accountant officer and controller for the world's most global bank, Citi, uh, it's not a coincidence that um, my professional experience Uh, since college and business school uh, has been marked with diversity. And that diversity started with the academic variety of the degree in applied chemistry, as you mentioned. Uh, So I started my career with Arthur Anderson uh, where I got my accounting certification uh, in Nigeria. Uh, After Arthur Anderson, I spent many years as financial controller for... uh, uh, an all services company. When I moved to New York in 1998, I rejoined Arthur Anderson uh, and worked in their risk consultant practice. and. Uh worked with a lot of regulated entities, including banking and pharmaceuticals. Uh, I also worked in a number of M&A advisory and divestiture type arrangements. Uh, while I worked at Arthur Anderson, I attended NYU Stern School of Business uh, and got my MBA around the same time I got my CPA uh, license. And in the events of 2001 and two. Uh, took me to Ernst & Young, where I worked in the business risk services practice uh, before joining uh, American Express in late uh, 2003. Uh, At Amic, I spent about 10 years, uh, four of those years uh, in in the UK, six in New York, uh, in various roles as controller. Uh, a variety of financial management roles. Uh, I was M&A controller at some point overseeing M&A uh, activities, including divestitures, uh, later joined Capital One as deputy controller, uh, and my last stop before my current role was as uh, a managing director and global head of FP&A at Morgan Stanley and uh, CFO of the infrastructure division. So. Listening to all of that, um, you could see that so far my career has been the progression of roles in different functions, uh, different firms, different geographical locations. And so I usually encourage folks in the early phases of their careers uh, to diversify their experiences uh, and learn different things, even while working for the same company. Uh, the more rooms you occupy uh, in the house of whatever firm or function you work for, uh, the more opportunities for you to uh, progress and potentially become a leader in that organization. So I think the
0: through line here is diversity and variety. But I must say, hearing you speak about your background, to say that you come from a diverse background is quite literally an understatement. Hearing the different cities and countries that you have come from to the different organizations that you worked at, it is quite impressive to hear you you talk about your progression. So I, I thank you for sharing that with us. And now to pivot our conversation a little bit more towards what we are here to learn from you about um is the digital finance transformation that's happening within your industry. What is your view of the way things have changed since the pandemic?
1: It's a great question and you know, uh, you know, first I must say that digital is changing the way of finance. Uh, not just on the front end of, you know, customer acquisition, service and Uh, but in the middle and back ends of transaction processing, accounting, reporting, et cetera. Uh, And really digital is about uh, using data to make better and faster decisions. Uh, You know why leveraging iterative and mobile approaches to doing business. Uh, And it's really impacting financial services in a big way. Uh, On the consumer side, uh, you know, you can think about the consumer side of banking uh, in terms of transacting, uh, lending, investing uh, on the institutional or corporate side. Uh, you've got trading, you've got lending as well. You've got underwriting, you've got advisory. All of those are being impacted by digital. Uh, and so, you know, let me start on the consumer front. Uh, on the consumer side of things, uh, you know, I think that's where we've seen more noticeable impacts uh, from, uh, you know, the, the pandemic. Uh, we've seen increased demand for digital products, uh, things like flexible payment options. Uh, we've seen a, a preference for cashback rewards. Uh, and so at City. Uh, we focused on driving digital commerce uh, ensuring our products are easy to use uh, you know digitally uh, and we're providing and continuing to enhance functionalities uh, for our customers and one of the things we introduced uh, during and after the pandemic was city Flex pay and our custom cash credit card. Uh, to really provide payment flexibility and and in addition cash back rewards. Um, And so what we've seen is increased engagement uh, that has improved when you see the number of online cash application transactions, uh, when you look at things like Zelle, et cetera, uh, mobile check deposits, uh, digital deposits, et cetera, uh, to name just a few of them. So, you know, it's, it's a lot going on in the consumer space. And, and, you know, it's actually the exception in, you know, not to have uh, a lot of presence and activity in all the things that I mentioned, whether as a bank or as a consumer. And then online retail investing uh, has grown. Uh, you know, you've had a huge advent of smaller players enabling easy access uh, using apps and the ability to own partial shares. Uh, however, I mean, as we know, there's some newer players that have uh, gotten into trouble in some instances. Uh, on the corporate side, uh, you know, we've, you know, I'm really proud to say our city we've invested a lot uh, in providing differentiated client experience. Uh, for our clients, uh, we've got a, a three year initiative uh, where we're uh, deploying 400 bankers to serve clients in three discrete interfaces. Uh, we've got customer banker interactions, we got digital portals, we've got host to host type arrangements. And so, you know, I mentioned digital portal, that's a portal that allows our clients to self service depending on the product set that they interact with us on. Uh, you know we're the largest player in a business called Treasury and Trade Solutions (TTS). In that business, we've launched what's called host-to-host, Host, which integrates with client systems to help them to track and manage international transactions digitally. Uh, and that helps them automate how they net. You know when they have overdrafts and they have deposits, and it just helps them make for a more efficient liquidity management uh, process. Um, and so, um, you know, w- when you think about TTS as a business, and again, we're very proud of our uh, progress and the, you know, the, the presence that we have in that business. Uh, we have presence in over 95 countries. Uh, when I started, I said we're the world's most global bank. And so, uh, ensuring our clients have connectivity in you know almost any clearing system you have globally is is important and it's a huge differentiator for us and so we have the largest proprietary payment network in the industry and we connect into over 270 value transfer systems worldwide so i say all this as background to you know making sure that it's clear that when it comes to digital with the infrastructure that we have um you know we have no choice but to be a leader in digital transformation, so we have you know, something called City Direct, where uh, you know it's an award-winning online and mobile application that allows corporate clients uh, to interact with us, uh, and uh, we've got it in over in 90 countries across 140 currencies. We have another app called City Connect uh, that processes trillions of dollars. Uh, in aggregate payments around the globe per year. So I can go on and on about all the things that we have. We've got City Velocity. uh, It's a a top-ranked institutional trading platform. Uh, which, you know, our clients could actually access on our mobile devices. And we've made a lot of investments in that to modernize and simplify user experience. Uh, and this year we're introducing natu- nat- uh, natural language processing, uh, digital ass- assistance. So there's a lot we're doing in digital and, uh, you know, there's no better way to talk about digital than to give you real examples. Uh, and so what this is creating is you know, a lot of choice for clients and consumers. Uh, It's also creating a great disintermediation in certain aspects of our business, so like trading. So with, you know, uh, high-speed trading, uh, where you have algorithms, uh, where human interaction is decreased, uh, you're seeing higher volumes of trading. Uh, and you're seeing fees being impacted, uh, marginal fees are declining, uh, but volumes are going up. And so, you know, total commissions for the industry is going up as well. And you see things like co location, where uh, you have, you know, dedicated space within uh, a data a, a center for a stock exchange, uh, you know, become really important uh, to achieve high speed trading. So, some examples there but we also we don't go it alone we also partner with uh fintech firms uh to help keep us at the forefront of evolution and developments and transacting and uh ensuring we're we're hearing what our end users and clients and customers need um and so uh there's a lot going on Uh, just to mention a city uh is broadly recognized as a leader in digital banking Uh, last month euro money named city is the world's best digital bank in 2022 so just highlighting the history of the investments we've made in the broad range of products and services some of which i just mentioned
0: really great to hear you talk about some of the investments that city made as a result of the pandemic to support the digital transformation. And I guess the one thing that I'm picking up on that, although it's true in a sense that the pandemic, although caused immense turmoil for many, it really increased accessibility. And our digital tools have been paramount to supporting that accessibility. And city is one of the organizations that's really championed that. I guess what I want to learn from you now, having covered what changed is you know in your role and the seat that you sit in what where are things headed what comes next and what's really the future that we're looking at here
1: Yeah so a great question I think the world of tech is evolving rapidly uh, you know and I, I'm not an expert in all the topics here but you know things like quantum computing machine learning crypto, artificial intelligence, the metaverse. I mean, it's just a lot of things dominating the the discourse here. Uh, And all of these um, tech trends are underpinned by digital. Uh, And so in terms of where things are going, uh, I'd say on the consumer side, uh, it's really, you know, from from where I sit, from a banking standpoint, uh, it's really, how do you leverage digital? On digital channels to listen to your customers, to better assess, to better understand their preferences. Um, how do you use the information that you get from your customers, um, and how do you mine that data to really, uh, you know, understand their needs and customize your products uh, appropriately? Um, and you know, the trend is, you know, to declutter. It's to make things simpler. How do you provide digital solutions which are simple uh, to use and that, imp- that, that provide impactful customer experiences? Uh, and so, um, you know, there's just a lot of choice out there, as you mentioned, uh, you know, the, the, the pandemic, uh, you know, forced a lot of people to have to use digital tools uh, because we weren't traveling, we uh, weren't uh, going shopping, et cetera. So you had to get used to new ways of doing things. I mean, the term Zoom uh, was not in the lexicon uh, before the pandemic. Uh, and so, uh, you know, our goal is to simplify, make things easier, make it more second nature, and really to get closer to the customer to understand their preferences better. The one thing that underpins digital is, is data. Uh, You know, data is growing exponentially every day. Uh, And so we must lean on technology and use all the data to get proactive and become more predictive with the data. So you have data that sometimes exists in silos. Uh, You have data that individually does not give you any insights. And so, uh, you know, digital tech will help us bring it all together, mine the data better, Mine data in real time, Uh, mine data and leverage it to provide services to our clients in real time, Uh, you know, with a good understanding of their needs and needs at points in time. Uh, And then, you know, you've heard of blockchain and it's making it easier to settle transactions and there's more to come there. And I think there will be an evolution in in the understanding, the use uh, and the utility of blockchain. And so I expect the digital trends to continue to accelerate.
0: you mentioned this very briefly earlier on in our um in your response and i wanted to take a second to kind of pick at it because we do have a couple of attendee questions that have come in that i think are relevant to what you have spoken about and you mentioned um the stay-at-home mandate enabled us or really propelled us to become more reliant on our digital tools and it really engaged us to having a adopting a new way of conducting business or a new way of doing things and I know that crypto has been around for many many years before the pandemic Um, but it's, it's no doubt that with the last couple of years reliance in some aspect on crypto is starting to increase and there's been a lot of discussion in the market when it comes to digital sometimes fall into discussions about cryptocurrencies and so what are the some of the implications of crypto and blockchain initiatives from your perspective as a controller at a global financial service provider, given the current volatility in the market?
1: You know, I, I got to say this, it's, you know, the, the subject of crypto, the two sides to it. There's, you know, the 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 training in crypto and ownership of assets, which, uh, to be clear, we don't, as a as an organization, city, we don't own assets. Uh, you know, we if if we're required to the extent there's a a, a sovereign authority, a government, uh, a central bank that issues uh, coins, and they mandate that you hold a minimum, we would do that. But outside of that, we do not currently uh, own or transact in, in these in, in crypto. Having said that. Um, you know, there's, there's a variety of things, and you said from an accounting standpoint, um, the, the SEC recently came out with, uh, you know, Sab 121, which, uh, you know, uh, you know, came out uh, to to really guide uh, firms around uh, when they do custodial duties. When you've got uh, when you're custodian and you've got a platform. Uh, And you maintain crypto key data for clients uh, that you would have to present the liability to reflect the safeguarding obligation uh, and a corresponding indemnification asset uh, measured at fair value related to that obligation. And so the SEC is essentially treating crypto similar to a deposit account liability. And so that's just an example of, um, you know, how the The regulatory environment is evolving in response to crypto. I know, uh, you know, almost all the regulators that we work with are looking into, um, you know, guidance in terms of whether it's your technology risk, the legal risk, the regulatory risks associated with crypto. And so, uh, we here at City, we've got a number of digital initiatives that we're looking at. Um, you know, custody is one of them. I just mentioned the SAB 121 that came out where. Uh, Will have the ability to help our clients manage and 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 and, and hold custody of their crypto key, uh, and um, we've got a variety. Of, in fact, over 20 initiatives that we're working with uh, it, that are in various phases of, of development, uh, from you know testing to proof of concept, etc. And so our role here is to to really guide the business in terms of. You know, the risks associated with, uh, you know, the, the businesses we're going into and obviously, you know, how those would be accounted for and what controls we would need to put in place uh, around uh, the uh, the transacting um, and uh, relation with clients, capture, reporting, et cetera. And so, you know, I, I would not comment on the market in terms of the direction of travel. As it relates to crypto, but what I can tell you is, there's obviously a lot of uh, interest. There's a lot of activity, um, and I believe crypto is here to stay. Uh, you know, blockchain as a uh, as a tool uh, for uh, settlements, uh, I think, is here to stay. Uh, and uh, you know, we're we're evaluating. Uh, we're looking at different things. Like I said, we've got over 20 initiatives at city that we're, we're we're working through.
0: Thank you for taking that on the whim. And before we return back to our conversation, there is another question from the attendees that I actually wanted um, to get into. And they're asking for one or two specific examples of what internal controls you automated using robotic process automation and the steps you went through in order to do it.
1: So, RPA and it's a, a great example of you know existing you can call a digital approach. Uh, obviously, pre-pandemic has been around for a while, um, and um, you know there's a variety of things. As you can imagine, we're a large firm and we do have operations that span the globe, and uh, we have a lot of settlements, and settlement activities. That happen with our clients, and with other counterparties that are non-clients, uh, we do have, uh, you know, a lot of processes that are not, uh, you know, directly. Uh, you know, linked to settlements with our clients that I would categorize uh, in the in the realm of accounts payable management and in managing vendors. And so, you know, that area of vendor management and accounts payable is where we've uh, tested and deployed uh, RPA. Uh, where, you know, you have repetitive tasks that uh, you can code and and can be learned by the machine and can be repeated. So we have pockets of areas in accounts payable where we use RPA. Uh, You know, we're testing, uh, you know, uh, the the idea of of leveraging RPA uh, for some of the partner payments that we do uh, with some of our uh, partners in the uh, in the card space, but we're still in the early phase of, of thinking through that. Uh, but I would say primarily in the area of accounts payable and vendor management.
0: But John Ball, now I want to talk about Citigroup as an organization. And Bloomberg earlier reported that the bank um, has plans to hire as um, numbers as high as 4,000 Tech staff, um, and this is in order to enable a um, to enable a support of a digital explosion. From the side that you sit on, on the accounting side, what impact does this have? And um, from both the accounting side and the controllership.
1: So, to level set, uh, you know, just city as a firm, uh, we've got over two hundred twenty thousand. People serving customers across you know, more than 160 countries, um, and um, you know, in 2021, we spent a total of 10 billion dollars on technology. So, um, and, and that 10 billion was evenly it was split 50 50 between what we call change the bank and run the bank. Uh, and um, you know, we currently leverage the public cloud for. Uh, millions of risk calculations that we do daily, hourly, etc., uh, and then 25% of our institutional business applications, you know, be migrated to um, to the cloud to uh, you know a container type architecture, um, and so. Um, you know, there's a lot that we're already doing, uh, you know, related to digital, uh, you know, before this this announcement. Uh, and, and so, you know, yes, we're like I said, digital is going to accelerate and we're, we're a leader there. And so, you know, the, the, the hiring that was announced is aligned with our strategy uh, at the same time. Um, you know, like I said, we are already doing a lot in the digital space, uh, but of the 4,000, um, I can tell you a thousand will be dedicated to, uh, building end-to-end capabilities in our markets business. Uh, and that's in addition to, um, you know, about 30,000 software engineers that we already have a city. Uh, so the, the, the one one fourth of the 4,000 will be dedicated to a lot of work uh, that we're doing in the market space. Um, and so, you know, some of the benefits we expect from, from uh, you know, hiring uh, these professionals and these investments we're making include building out, um, you know, the cloud base and bringing it home to the controllers function, uh, a cloud-based financial ledger. Um, which, uh, it's something that, you know, as we, as we start that journey, we're going to be, um, you know, uh, uh, ahead of our peers, uh, and we're going to be improving our risk technology, uh, you know, how we evaluate risk exposures, uh, how we do it more efficiently, uh, you know, like any other large organization, we have, uh, a good measure of manual processes And manual intervention So the goal is to continue to automate To reduce manual intervention And uh, you know, continue to in- Increase processing speed Across the board So it's a lot of software engineers uh, And uh, we also have A lot of data engineers we're bringing in That will be focused on uh, helping us improve how data is discovered and how data is, uh, is, is, uh, organized. Right. And, and you've got, you know, you got data that is in transit data that is, uh, you know, at rest, uh, and how we organize and discover data and manage it and mine it and use it for, uh, you know, customer insights and, and development of new products. It's all part of the equation there. So, um, there's a lot we're doing there, but I mentioned within controllers, it's really around upgrading our current ledger infrastructure uh, and uh, we're looking to implement a strategic ledger uh, that is cloud-based uh, and uh, enhancing data quality and data trace.
0: I must say it's almost as if you are um Speaking to the points that the people want to hear about, to springboard off of your remarks here, there are two questions that have come in that I'd like to ask you. And the first one reads more around the recruitment um, strategy that you guys are implementing. What uh, percentage or how much emphasis do you put on finance staff um, having a digital background versus a traditional accounting background? Is that something in your... um, Point of view is paramount to have coming into city.
1: That's a great question. We're, we're, um, you know, we're, we're, and we've said this publicly that we're going through a transformation as a firm. Uh, it's a huge focus for our uh, CEO, Jane Fraser, and she's, uh, you know, but dynamic and a, a CFO and and in the leadership team here focused on that transformation. And that transformation is not just around risk control, it's also data. And when you're transforming, uh, a huge part of transformation is upskilling. right? You have to bring in folks that embrace the way you're going and the direction of travel. And so in addition to um, you know, what I, I talked about in terms of software engineers uh, and data engineers we're hiring, we're also bringing in Uh, Process engineers Um, And we're upskilling Existing staff on new tools And products Uh, And uh, you know my goal as a Controller and chief accounting officer is to continue To produce decision useful Information uh, And information that is not just Information but provides insights To uh, all of our stakeholders Whether it's regulators or You know the the management and board of the company Or uh, investors And analysts so uh, you know, with more efficient tools, uh, You know, we're able to do that. And, and quite honestly, it uh, you know, makes the work more interesting for our team. So folks that are earlier in their career, um, they're not used to a lot of things that are manual. And so these digital tools will also enable us to attract talent and retain talent. And so uh, across things we do in valuation, valuation controls, management reporting, reg reporting, Etc. We're we're looking to continue to upskill in the area of process engineering, in the areas of data, uh, in the areas of documentation, uh, and uh, uh, and and that's across the board.
0: And the next question, which. Goes back to some of your earlier remarks. Is what are the benefits that you expect from a cloud-based financial ledger?
1: There's a lot of lot of benefits. Um, You know, um, you know, there's straight through processing that we want to achieve. from, you know, just capturing of transactions, uh, booking of transactions all the way through reporting that, you know, this would enable in terms of uh, whether is speed uh, and efficiency, but also uh, the level of accuracy. And, and, and the second thing is just reduction in the level of manual intervention. But a cloud-based uh, application or ledger, uh, it's very strategic for us because it means that, you know, to the extent that the vendor, uh, that the software provider has upgrades or or um, new releases or patches, uh, you know, we're not spending a year or two years. Um, Go into a new version of the software, right? It's it's automatic, and you know because we don't own software, uh, we rent software. So um, I think the efficiency of use of of what I call software as a service, it's it's uh, you know it's 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 outstanding, and so it's both cost and speed, but also is just the you know keeping your software and keeping your system modern, right? You you're not in this loop of every three, four, five years, you have to do an upgrade. And that upgrade takes you a year or two. You're, you're literally relying on the latest software that the vendor provides because it's software as a service. So that's a huge benefit. And that's you know generically the benefit of using software as a service. Uh, but for us specifically, like I said, we're a large organization. Uh, we're in, in so many countries, we're the world's most global bank. So, that connectedness and the uniformity that, that we want in uh, you know, a strategic ledger that is cloud based will enable that in an efficient way.
0: Thank you so much. And now, We've focused in the early parts of our conversation. We took a closer look at your background and your career. We pivoted to then talk about uh, the organization at large. What I want to focus on a little bit more now is your specific role. Um, so as a controller, what role do you play in the move into digital finance?
1: Yeah, in. in- Shivani, I mentioned some of that earlier, which is you know, um, we um, we partner very closely with our, our colleagues, whether it's in technology or the the, the front office, the business units, um, on new products and services, and to the extent that there are. Uh, new initiatives or new products we're rolling out. We've got a, a new initiatives process at the firm where um, you know the various business unit controllers are involved in reviewing those initiatives, assessing the accounting implications, assessing implications on our internal control of our financial reporting, assessing implications on regulatory reporting, et cetera, et cetera. And so, and then making sure we have complete documentation and in real time advising the business on you know what needs to be put in place uh, for those new products and services to operate in a safe and sound manner, and so it's 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 that advisory uh, that is really critical because you know once you have a new product, the way you set it up impacts what you do obviously. Uh, down the road and you want to make sure you set up uh, appropriately and so um, so it's the advisory part of working with our business partners uh, but it's also um, you know transforming what we do in in the controllers organization as I mentioned the ledger uh, and we've got a lot of processes uh, you know our reporting where we're using more digital tools uh, where we're Using better visualization, uh, where we're publishing data uh, in a more user friendly way. Um, So, there's a variety of ways that that, um, we're participating in supporting uh, the firm and and, uh, uh, making sure that we we continue to satisfy our obligation of uh, being guardians of the firm's books and records.
0: And when you spoke about your career background, you had mentioned um, a lot of experience leaning towards FP&A. How does that inform your approach in leading the finance function, especially when it comes to the use of technology?
1: So, yeah, I was, I was proud to join Studio as global head of FP&A, as I mentioned, at Morgan Stanley. Uh, and, and in that role, my team enhanced uh, the uh, – forecasting, planning, and budgeting processes to support business and capital planning at the firm. And and, and with that came technology. Uh, and uh, one of the things that I enjoyed doing was building and enhancing uh, planning capabilities, uh, including not just the process, but the technology and obviously the organizational design around it. And so, um, you know, that helped us, you know, enhance the predictability of our forecast and the accuracy of, of, of our management reporting. Uh and we actually went into doing quarterly forecasting. Um and so um you know, that forward-looking mindset, it, you know, stays with me, uh, you know, really focused on anticipating needs, anticipating risks. Uh, and so, uh, you know, my team at City here uh, have uh, published 10, 10 points of excellence for the team, and one of the points was around managing emerging risks. Um, and that that's crucial for us as controllers to ensure that we're not just... Um, you know, reporting actuals and explaining actuals, but we're also like helping to uh, foretell and, and predict and, and re- report on an emerging risks. Um, and um, so my, again, FP&A background kind of helped me build that muscle. Uh, and the other muscle that he helped me build was communication um, where, you know, I-, I think communication is a key internal control. Uh, if you think of the COSO Principles, uh, one of the components is information and communication. And so information needs to be timely and accurate, but also risk reporting has to be timely and accurate. So if you think, see things emerging, going in a direction, making sure you're flagging them, flagging them in a timely manner, escalating issues, very important. And then financial statement analysis, um, it's so you know, fundamental and uh, being able to do that in an efficient way. And, and what tools can you use? What technologies? And I mentioned visualization tools, et cetera, that we, we're deploying, we've deployed here at City. Uh, you know, some of those come out of my FPNA background, but also. You know, they, they help us when we draft that 10K, 10Q in uh, our quarterly earnings. So, uh, you know, when, whether you're explaining what's happening across the firm, uh, explaining it verbally uh, with words, with numbers, um, I think uh, just developing that that. You know, financial statement and analytical uh, skill set is very important. Anyway, but I think analytical tools and visualization tools are some of the technologies that uh, we've built. I'm sure others have built, but we continue to enhance, enhance your city to help us with insights and trend analysis. Uh, but uh, hopefully that answers your question. But I think fp controllers is huge connectivity between those two.
0: It most certainly does answer my question and we'll touch on FPNAs a little bit more because there there's questions that have come in. But we are coming towards the end of our conversation and you had brought up, you know, communication in a timely, orderly manner. And so you do a great job at explaining and so I'm hoping that you can explain how the possibility of a recession will impact the finance industry and some of its digital plans.
1: Recession? Wow! What what recession? No. Um, So I think there's a lot of reasons to be cautious about uh, where the global economy is going. Um, You know, whether it's the Russia Ukraine war, whether it's inflation, um, fuel prices. um, You know you. Ongoing supply chain issues—you uh, know—all of those things in combination have increased the level of uncertainty in the macroeconomic environment. Uh, you know, back in June, I uh, economists here at City reduced their global forecast of growth, um, and for 2022, uh, and, and actually for 2023 as well. And so, um, and they also increased uh, the outlook for inflation. And so, our probability of recession went to 50 50, uh, 50%. And so, you know, the various views on this. Um, and, um, you know, while personally, I don't think uh, in the US we're going to go into a recession soon, there's a lot of data out there, there's a lot of sentiments out there that suggest that. Uh, there will be a recession. Now, if we do go into a recession, my view is it it will not be a long-lived and it will not be a deep recession. Uh, I mean, for example, last week, uh, the U.S. reported better than expected employment data. Um, And um, some of the data we're seeing suggests that um, – you know things like payment rates and uh, charge-off rates of, of credit remain uh, uh, strong um, and uh, positive. So, um, you know, it's it's. Uh, I'm not an economist, so I can't. You know, I'm not putting out a prediction here, but uh, you know, data is out there that suggests that uh, there's a possibility of a recession. Now, as a firm, uh, you know, we're going to continue to support. Uh, the countries, the economies where we operate, we're gonna can you support our clients, we'll lend money, we'll be an intermediary, we'll facilitate, we'll do all that in a prudent manner. Uh, That's our core mission, that's the expectation of our customers, that's what our regulators expect us to do. Uh, We've got a promise to support our clients in in good and bad times, Uh, and we're going to do all that uh, if there's a recession, and we're going to do it while ensuring the safety and soundness of our operations. So, you know, regardless of the market environment, we have very sound risk management and that will continue. Uh, And, uh, you know, just to break it down, you know, rates are going up, interest rates, the Fed raised rates. Uh, And uh, with rising rates, you may see fall. In fact, you will see fall in the uh, demand for loans. Uh, you may see loan loss reserves uh, start to go up. You may start to see purchasing volumes start to go down. Uh, but, you know, you have increased volatility that is happening, uh, whether it's in the rate space or the equity market space. And those play well for our markets business. And so because we're so diversified, markets... Uh, consumer lending, credit cards, investment banking, trading, et cetera. Uh, we're built to uh, to withstand changes in the economy. And so, uh, you know, I think whatever the, the, the scenario, um, you know, we're, we're prepared to operate through multiple economic cycles. So, uh, but on the digital front, which is kind of the core of this conversation, Uh, My belief is there will be a need to continue to invest even during a recession uh, because you're going to need to be even more efficient, more nimble and continue to evolve with your customers. And so, uh, in fact, the efficiency gains, uh, you know, of digital means that it will be even more important to invest during periods of stress. And so, um, you know, that would actually position you to emerge uh, stronger and uh, uh, a better firm and better position to serve your clients.
0: That brings us to the top of our conversation. I do now want to open the floor up for uh, questions from the attendees. And so I do encourage everyone who's listening in, You know, this is really your time to get your questions asked and heard. And as they trickle in, I'll start with one that's come in. And it reads, being a global public company operating in many countries, do you manage FCPA compliance and requirements in one COE or shared service center?
1: Um, so. In a, as you can imagine, FCPA is crucial for us and it's front and center given our geographic diversity and, and uh, global presence. And we, we do a great job managing uh, Foreign Corrupt Practices Act. And uh, we do have a COE. Uh, we've got a, a, a compliance uh, office that manages uh, FCPA centrally. Having said that, we do have local compliance officers who are on the ground to help us in terms of, you know, really understand the practicalities of how, um, you know, FCPA compliance works and how, you know, in different countries, um, you know, uh, things may have happened that would show you how uh, companies and individuals may have tried in the past to uh, uh, evade FCPA requirements. So it's a combination, it's a hybrid of, uh, we've got a COE at the center, but we do have local officers who help us ensure connectivity to uh, you know how things work. Uh, and, and you do have certain countries that are higher risk than others, and we do update our risk assessments on a regular basis.
0: As a controller at a financial services company, how has the emphasis on ESG transformed your job? Is it reshaping the controllership's position?
1: That's a great question. So ESG, environmental, social, governance, um, you know, that S could be security, food security, it could be a variety of things. Um, But, um, you know, as, as, you know, we talk about a recession. You know, with everything happening with the war in Ukraine, food security is becoming an issue, and our firm is focused on it uh, uh, from a social standpoint. But ESG is is something that we're 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 heavily focused on as a firm. We do have a chief sustainability officer. We have a sustainability office. Uh, we're the first financial services firm to publish. Uh, the TCFD report We're the first to publish an ESG report uh, We do publish those annually They're very comprehensive They talk to uh, net zero commitments And all the things we're doing From a climate standpoint Obviously from a Whether it's gender parity Or pay parity Or uh, pay equity I mean there's a lot of things we're doing In the ESG space That uh, we do talk about Very comprehensively uh, In a um, ESG reports and a TCFD report. Uh, So as a controllers organization, the major change that we're expecting is that the SEC came out with a proposal around uh, disclosure of uh, uh, climate uh, impacts. Uh, That climate disclosure proposal uh, came out uh, this year, I think it was march 21st we had uh, uh uh i think it was till june 17 to we there about to respond we did submit a comment uh a response to to that sec uh, proposal uh we i know that some of our peers did as well and so uh in response to that proposal which at some point will be a final rule um we uh, we've started to uh, think through how we'll, we need to organize uh, in terms of uh, the processes we need to put in place, the controls would have to build to uh, start to disclose. Uh, again, depending on what the final rule becomes uh, to, to start to disclose climate related data and impacts in our financial statements. So without going into detail in the time we have, the, uh, the proposal was far reaching, uh, but would require a lot of disclosures in, in your um, 10K, which, um, you know, if it passes as proposed or even in a modified version, would have to, uh, you know, adapt our processes and systems. Uh, and, and and our personnel uh, to be able to comply, and we're working on that. I think uh, uh, we're going to be ready.
0: That was great. Thank you so much. And I have one final question for you before we wrap up our conversation. And this goes back to our conversation on FPNA. And I want to learn from you. What are some of the most exciting developments in FPNA that you see on the horizon? So you know,
1: I always so, tell you know, people
0: that
1: is not a prediction. So if you're a financial plan analysis professional, you're not you're not there with a crystal ball telling what the future is gonna be. That's not FPNA. What FPNA is, is you should have the ability and the tools and the processes to predict an outcome based on a scenario. And so um for me, the most important development of, in fp and is the ability to do dynamic forecasting using multiple scenarios. So the ability to, whether it's every quarter, every six months, to you know run a forecast using multiple scenarios, and then having um, you know conversations around what scenarios may play out, but being ready with information that says this scenario A plays out where. You know, unemployment goes to X, GDP goes to Y, here's the path of revenues for X, Y, Z business, et cetera. So for me, the direction of travel is is being nimble uh, and having the ability to dynamically forecast using multiple scenarios. And then generating insights from those forecasts, meaning being able to leverage those forecasts to make decisions. Uh, and, and you know the ability to do that really means that you have to get management to buy into the forecast, which means you have to engage uh, the folks that run the business in the assumptions and the variables that you use for developing those forecasts. So dynamic forecasting, scenario-based forecasting, uh, decision useful forecast and is a direction of travel.
0: Thank you so much. I will say that we have come to the end of our conversation and our time here today. I do want to say uh, thank you so much for your time, your remarks, your intellect, and your insights. I personally can say that I've walked away from this conversation knowing more than I did coming into it. And for that, I want to really thank you for your time.